You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So last week we began our Pathway series, right? A series that will discuss who we are as a church, what we believe, and where we are going. And last week we began to talk <laughs> with a talk about knowing God, that our mission as a church uh, is to know God more and to make Him known, right? That's what we want as a church and also as members. And we know that knowing God has to start with Jesus. It has to start with Jesus because apart from Jesus, it is impossible to know God because Jesus is the revelation of God, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the word of God. He is our bridge to God. He is the way, the truth, and life. You can't get to God apart from Jesus, right? You guys believe that, right? So it's all about Jesus for us. You see, it's not even just starting with Christ. It's about knowing that to know Jesus is to know God that the Word of God will guide us to Him, that the Spirit of God will open our eyes and hearts to Him. And so it begins with Jesus, sure, but also stays with Jesus for the rest of our lives, right? And so our love and appreciation for Jesus, I hope and pray for all of us, would just grow deeper and deeper day by day. It's not like He's just a starting point. Um, and so that's our aim, is to know more of God through Jesus. But we also learn that to make God known, we're called to love one another the way that Christ loved us, Right? It's to love one another. we gotta, we got to love one another, and that's how we also display the fact that we actually have faith in God. That's, how, that's the evidence of knowing God is by loving one another. That means it goes beyond a simple gesture of kindness, right? Uh, but in fact, it means a dying to oneself. It's, it's pretty hardcore if you think about it. It's a sacrificial type of love that Jesus displayed through his life. And obviously through his death. And so our mission to know and enjoy God is to know him and be discipled and to make disciples in Christ. And to enjoy him is to glorify him in Christ. Who said that? What happened? <laughs> Someone got really excited about the mission. And I'm, and I'm glad. I'm there with you. So our mission is about why we exist. But today I want to talk about our vision. Okay? Our vision. And that is really our long-term desire as we as a church fulfill the mission. You see, if we all, if you and I all press into the mission of, make, of knowing God and making him known, I believe that God will do amazing things in us, for us, and through us. And what will result, or rather our vision, is that through us, Christ will rescue, he will reclaim, and he will revive a broken and lost world for the sake of his kingdom. That's what our vision says. One person, one family, and one community at a time. Who wants to partner up with me in that, right? Um, and it's not just with me. It is with all the Christians around the world. That is our calling. We have so many wonderful testimonies of how God was able to use the people in this ministry here to bring the gospel to them, how the community of brothers and sisters here you guys here have helped revive and strengthen failing marriages, how the church here, you guys, here have helped those who are in broken relationships, how those here have helped those who are hurting, uh, who are hurt by people, those who are buried in sin, those who are just completely lost. And so God in his grace allowed the members of this EM, Shining Star Community Church, to be part of his amazing plan. And maybe you've been the recipient of that. I know I've been blessed by you guys. 
And say, God, he wants to use you to be a part of his great divine agenda of rescuing, of reclaiming, and reviving these people, these people who have come through these double doors because they are seeking after healing. They're seeking after truth. They're seeking after something more than what the world can offer. And so the Lord, he will meet with you there. But he wants to use you, right? God blesses those by using you to be a blessing to them. Right? So that's a wonderful truth, and I think that's really the vision that God has given us. So this vision, it allows us to fight and wrestle against the temptation of stagnancy because what can happen is this, is that you and I as a church, as a ministry, we can often lose sight of God's agenda, and then we selfishly replace it with our own. And so this self-centered agenda can look a lot like us hearing the Word of God but not obeying it. Right? That, that's what happens when you become a stagnant, selfish church. It's about, you know what, not walking in obedience in the instructions that God has given us. is not walking in faith. Instead, we begin to live in doubt. We live in unbelief. And we begin to just kind of reject the promises of God and say, God, I want to live kind of comfortably. I don't want to be challenged spiritually. And I certainly don't really want to grow and explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that temptation is there if we kind of replace God's agenda with ours, right? And so we'll get spiritually lazy, spiritually, spiritually lazy if we become scripturally lazy too. So my encouragement to you all is continue to explore the word of God. Go deeper, deeper, and deeper. But also, let's never stop praying together, okay? Always pray. So here's a New Year's resolution for you all. I don't know if you do this or not. But when you come to church here at 2 o'clock p.m. every Sunday, before you even greet and talk and say, hey, what's up, or say hi to a sister or brother, or even use the restroom, I want you to find your seat, sit down, and pray. Just take a minute or two and pray and say, God, I have come here to worship you. I am distracted. I got a lot of things going in my mind and my life right now, but I want to focus on your worship because how I worship you should not be dependent on how I feel today or what's going, what's going on in my life today, but rather I'm coming here to lift up this church that is my body, this church that is my family, and to lift up your name that should be glorified, right? So let that be your challenge. Every Sunday, if not every single day, but in particular as a church, that on corporate gathering Sundays, that we come here before anything else, just sit down, find your seat, shut up. I don't mean to be so crass right now, but you know what I mean? And just pray. Just give it up to the Lord. Amen? All right, cool. So today the Lord has a word for us, a word that will, that will remind us that he's still large and in charge. Amen? Amen? He's still large and in charge, and there can be no other desire but his. And what is that desire? To rescue, reclaim, and revive a broken world for his glory. That's what God's all about today, and tomorrow, and yesterday, and so on. Now, although our scripture reader read through verses 1 and 10, and he did it so wonderfully, the sermon is really on the, about the entire chapter, and so there's a reason why. A few days ago, I was invited to watch Les Mis. <coughs> I watched Les Mis in D.C., and I think everyone knows about the musical. If you've never seen it, I would recommend that you see it. I was never, like, big into that kind of stuff, but when I saw Les Mis, it just hooked me. It's a beautiful music, musical, probably the most famous one out there. Uh, Hollywood, they made a movie where they had Wolverine star in it. That was just a weird thing, right? But uh, he was in it. But the musical that we watched... It was all about the actor, singer. They sing a song, and it is beautiful. 
It tugs at your heartstrings. But in the musical, oftentimes, it's more than just one person singing the song. It's more than that. Sometimes there's two, three. Sometimes it's a whole group of people singing a song together. And why is that? They do that because while they sing along to the same melody and musical ensemble. By the way, I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to this type of, like, so if my words are completely off, like technically, you're like, ensemble? What are you talking about? Then forgive me. But the point is this. While everyone may be singing and harmonizing with each other, and it is beautiful, if you've ever heard the songs, they're also telling their own story, but that story is never a standalone, but rather it helps complete the narrative. This is what I mean. This is what makes the musical so brilliant. You get, for instance, the love-struck passion of Marius and Cosette, right? They are just two teens in love with each other. They are infatuated with each other. But then, in that same song, you hear the poor Eponine. And she's singing a song of unrequited love. And so you have not only Marius and Cosette singing this beautiful love song, but paired with that, we have Eponine from the distance. And, she, the distance, and she's singing her song. And it's beautiful. But all three singing together, it brings a completion to their story and is trying to tell us something more than what just a soloist can do. Is this making sense? There is a depth. There is a fullness. There is a richness that a soloist can never do, that these three singing a song, yes, to the same tune, but they're singing a different message. But that same message, it coincides together. So what does it have to do with this chapter? In this chapter, we have the record of Jesus telling three different parables and I mean, I say different, but like the musical illustration, they all are singing the same tune. Because here we have something lost, then someone finds it, and then there's a household of rejoicing. And so the subtle differences that you would read through this chapter and you go, okay, that's not, that's not much of a, uh, that's not really that significant. It's actually in those differences that make this message that Jesus is trying to convey that much richer and more powerful because it reinforces the point. Okay, so here it is. The first three verses, it kind of gives us the setting, okay? The first three verses. Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors. Can everyone say, ew? Auditors, accounts. I'm just kidding, right? Uh, tax collectors, right? They're surround he's surrounded by sinners. These people were the public outcasts. The public outcasts, the Pharisees and teachers' law, they had totally, as they're witnessing Jesus, sitting with these tax collectors and these obvious sinners, they're completely disapproving of his actions. And so they begin to mutter amongst themselves, can you believe it right now? Can you believe what you are seeing? This so-called teacher, the so-called man of law, God-man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This guy, who's supposed to be so reputable and so amazing and honest, and giving and generous and wise is associating and befriending low-life people, the scum of the earth. Can you believe that? Why such hatred towards these so-called sinners? You see, because for the Pharisees, in their view, they have a particular understanding of what it means to be righteous before God. Okay? And so for them, it means that God wants holy people to be separate from unholy people, that they should be separate from sinners. It's like this. How could anyone hang out with these bad people and not get corrupted? You know, you know what I'm talking about? 
right? So in fact, I bet your parents have said that. Have, have your parents, when you were in elementary middle school, have your parents ever said, don't hang out with that group of kids. They're the skaters. They're the bad people. They do drugs. They do all, they just say that, right? We say that. In fact, we might even say that to our children too today. Don't hang out with those bad kids, right? Because you will be known by the company you keep. Benjamin Franklin said, he who lies with dogs will stand up with fleas, right? And the truth is, even in Proverbs, the Bible, it warns young people about the same thing. So what's Jesus doing? Because the religious folks, you see, they're a bit confused. This guy, Jesus, he claims to teach about God and comes from God, but he's clearly hanging out with people who might corrupt him, who are just negative uh, influencers and might bring harsh, you know, terrible impact upon those around him, people who rebel against God. These are the sinners, right, who obviously don't like religion or anything religious. And so these parables are Jesus' response to these Pharisees saying, teacher, how could you be doing that? And, and here he tells them and tells us why. So I got three reasons, or really three points. First is this, God saves. Turn to your neighbor and say, God saves, hallelujah. It is a good, good thing. Amen? It is. This statement alone, it seems simple and obvious. In fact, it's maybe the most Christian thing someone could say. But it's also the most profound. Because, you see, throughout the ages, people have always tried to muddy the waters of salvation. They add this. And then they take away from that. But that simple phrase of God saves, it becomes more and more over the years, diluted, polluted, and unclear. You talk to a Jehovah Witness. They say, sure, God saves because of your works. So his saving is contingent on whether you make yourself savable. Does that make sense? Right? If you make yourself savable, and this is true for every other religion in the world, so yeah, they might say, God saves, God saves, but it's always done with a little asterisk at the end. So these parables, although they barely mention God, it is unmistakably telling us about God. Now the parable, the shepherd searching for his lost sheep, who's the shepherd that we're talking about? It's God. We know that. You must know that. Because throughout the Old Testament, God is repeatedly pictured as the great shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 80, he is the shepherd of Israel. Isaiah 40, he tends his flocks like a shepherd, gathering the lambs in his arms. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, God condemns the shepherds of his people. And he says, I'm going to promise you that one day I'm going to come as the shepherd. And so Jesus in this parable is saying, look, guys. I am the shepherd. I'm the one who will rescue you. Why? Because I save you. God saves God alone. Now, after skipping the second parable for a second, I want us to look at the prodigal son. Because it's obvious that the father represents God, right? And God represents the father. All throughout scripture, we know that God is the father, the one who loved the world enough to give his son. It is God who loved us while we are still sinners. It's God the father who adopts us into his family. Now, I want to be real with you all here. We may not all have had the greatest father figure growing up. And so whenever we hear God as our father, it kind of makes us cringe sometimes. We don't want that. It's a hard pill to swallow because the fathers of this world, and I'll tell you, including myself, I'm a father to two children, my love for them, my protection, my sacrifice, my attention and affection for them is short. It is limited. It is. 
Sometimes I am so circumstantially driven when it comes to being a father. When I'm having a crummy day, you think I want to toss my kids up in the air and say, life is great. I, I want to say, here's a tablet. Go to the corner. Let dad sulk right now. I need a minute. No, my love and affection is weak. It's shallow. It is incomplete. Even our best dads out there, their affection, their love, and their wisdom, and the way that they offer themselves to us, it is also incomplete. But our Heavenly Father is not like the fathers of this world. Hallelujah. Yeah. He is a Father who upon His authority, and upon His love, and upon His power, and His glory, and His majesty, and His perfection, and honor, He would just extend His love, and He would dare to call us His children. He would dare to call us his children. He is a father who welcomes those redeemed by Jesus. He is a father who loves, and his love is complete. He is a father who is kind, and his kindness it leads us closer to him. He is a father who is intimate, and his intimacy with him. You see, it is deep, it is profound, and it is satisfying. It is more than the fathers that we have in this world, not to knock on them. Your father might have fallen short in your life. And the people that we reach out to, whether inside these walls or outside, they may also be maybe a product of a broken fatherless home. But you see, in Christ, this is the promise here, for the first time, in Christ, they will experience the joy and the peace of a God who we can call Abba Father who will never fail us. The great shepherd saves. Our God the Father saves. And that is something we have to remind ourselves. He is not like him. He is not like her. He is God. And he is good. Amen? So the second point is that God, he saves hopelessly lost people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a bit hopeless. Many years ago, I was in Tyson's Corner area. I'm a bit of a car enthusiast, as in this. I like bright colors. I decided to check out this one dealership. It was the Porsche dealership or Porsche Whatever. And admittedly, this was many years ago before I was married and when I had some time. Right? <laughs> that was a negative thing, by the way. I just, I mean, like, I had time. Like, you know, like, I didn't have to go to a family or, you know, I had time. All right, anyways. So I wasn't dressed too well. I mean, I wasn't single. I, I was single, so I was just kind of like wearing khaki shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, and so I entered this dealership because I thought, how cool would it be to test drive a Porsche? Pretty cool. And the moment I entered, everyone glanced my way because they saw someone coming in the door, bell just rang like ding, right? And then they quickly averted their eyes. Quickly, quickly averted their eyes as if they never saw me. I went to a car. I started just kind of touching things. No one came by. No one offered me champagne or whatever they do at these ritzy dealers. I don't know. Right? No one did anything like that. They completely ignored me. Why? Because I was not their target audience. Meaning, I wasn't older. Typically, it is older people who have more money and who can buy these cars. I certainly didn't dress well. And I didn't pull up to their dealership because everyone's eyeing you through the mirror, through the window, what car you're driving and my car. Uh, was not a comparable car to the Porsches that they sold. I guess my Honda gave it away. Ads, 
stores, you name it. They all target specific groups. When I walk through the cosmetic area in the mall, I don't get saleswomen hounding me if I want a sample. I don't. I'm a guy. Typically, although these days it's changing, but typically, guys don't wear makeup, so they know there's no sale there. So here we learn that God, he saves the lost and hopeless people. And this is a glorious truth I want you all to know today. Those people are his target audience. They are his target audience. So what do lost people look like? Does lostness always look the same or does it have a different face? This is why this chapter is so beautiful because here we get the full picture, okay? So first, in that second point, the first kind of loss are the lost sheep. How do the sheep get lost? This is what happens. The sheep, they're thinking, I probably don't need my shepherd to find food. I know I will follow my nose. I'll follow my nose. Instinctually, I'll just kind of go and follow my nose. So from one grassy patch to another, he wanders off hour to hour, only eyeing what's immediately ahead. He has absolutely no awareness of where he's going or where he should be. And he, all he does is just stray farther and farther away from the flock, farther away from the shepherd. And that's how some people get lost too. Some people, yes, they turn away from God because they're angry at him, but many people just wander off because they're just excited for the greener grass. Maybe they get distracted by a pretty girl, or maybe they get distracted by a guy who showers them with attention. They get distracted by work deadlines. They become workaholics just following after deadline after deadline because they're trying to uh, climb the corporate ladder. Or maybe if you're a student, all you do is focusing, focus on the next exam and so you can build up your GPA. You see, they just go from one patch to another another just trying to survive or just trying to seek after pleasure after pleasure is just a patch of hopefully this one will be better and this patch will be better after all the while predictably they eventually will get lost because they will wander off that's what happens when all you do is keep your nose to the nose to the ground and just keep pursuing these things is that you today are you drifting away wandering from the protection and truth of the fold because you're so focused on other things that following the great shepherd now has really lost its appeal. I got an agenda for myself. I need to finish school. I need to get to this job. I need to make this kind of money. I need to get married to this type of person. So you have all these things, and now you see the great shepherd Jesus is no longer a priority in your life. You may not know it, but folks, by God's grace, God is seeking you out today. He is seeking you out today. God is using his church. And so whenever you hear people from the church, your life group or your life group leader or even me calling, texting, seeing how you are, don't ignore us. That's God speaking to you. Don't laugh, really. That's God saying, hey, you okay? Hey, we miss you. Hey, and then what happens when you constantly ignore? You can go to another church and say, why'd you leave Shining Star? They never cared for me. God never spoke to me. God never led me. Come on. God uses his church, his people, his message, even his rod or staff to bring you back to him and away from danger that you will face if you just continue to wander off. Okay? So when you got to 
holy brother or sister who loves you and you know that they love you and they rebuke you, they slap you a little and they say, hey, come back, receive it well. Say, thank you. I know it hurts, but thank you. Amen? Don't fight back. Come back. Don't turn away. Return. Back to your shepherd. He'll guide you. Or how about the lost coin? Now, a coin doesn't sprout legs and walk off. It doesn't lose itself. Now, a lost sheep might one day wander back home, right? But not the lost coin. Why? Because the coin is lifeless. A coin is lifeless. It cannot move. It cannot call for help. It can't even roll over and, sh and show the shiny self. So that hopefully that one day someone will see it and find it. A lost coin is truly helpless. If it's buried in dirt, it is gone. It is found and wedged between a crack. It is gone. If it rolls out of sight somehow, it is gone. It has no chance of being found outside of someone who is intentionally seeking it to find it. God says, you're just like that, you know. You are just like that. So physically, we may be alive and kicking. But spiritually, we're dead. We are unable to do anything to save ourselves. Look, we may know what God wants from us. Maybe you do. We find ourselves, but we find ourselves unable to change anything about us. We're still kind of bound by our sins. We're bound and we, we're, we're unable to do what is right. So what do we need? Try and save yourself? Try and pick yourself out of that crack? Uh-uh. We need someone who will intentionally seek to find us. We need Jesus. We need Jesus because he is the one who stood at the entry of the tomb of Lazarus and he commanded him to come to life, giving him at the same time the new life which enabled him to respond to that, to that, uh, to obey to that response. And so this is what God has done for us, okay? Understand that you are hopeless. I'm not just trying to be a Debbie Downer here. Understand that you are hopeless. And maybe in your life, maybe you've given up on God. Maybe right now in your spiritual pursuit and your walk to 2018, you're thinking, you know what, maybe 2018 will be just like 2017 and my life was just kind of like this. Like there was nothing really happening spiritually. There was really no growth or any, or any evidence of fruit in my life. Trust that God will still transform you. Trust that God is still working in you. And he's working in your circumstances too. Maybe you feel like you're long gone. You tried, but... You feel like you're long gone. But again, it's not about how much you try. It's about what God can and I hope will do in your life. So be hopeful, but also be submissive and be humble and seek after him. Seek after him because he saves you. And if he saves you, you see, it is his responsibility to transform you too. If he saves you, he will also be good and faithful to maintain you. That's what he does. He will wake you up. He will shake you up. He will empower you to walk in the spirit, to fight and resist and wrestle with the sins of your life. So my encouragement to you is that even in your hopeless state, humble yourself. Even in your state, surrender yourself. Recognize that you can't win this war, that you can't save yourself. And like Lazarus, you can't raise yourself up from the dead. Instead, let God, let God call you out. Let God work in your life. So come to him today, amen? But also, we finally had the lost son. He didn't wander like the sheep, nor was he lost or misplaced. No, this son deliberately and defiantly 
turned away from his father. He was determined to be independent no matter what the cost. He thought he knew better. He wanted more, and he wanted life outside of his father's house. He hated everything about his father's life. And folks, this is really kind of the worst kind of lostness. Because this kind of lostness, it burns bridges, it affects other people, it hurts and alienates those who want to help and serve you. It is filled with pride and full of self, uh, self, I guess, reliance, and it cares for nothing about the pain afflicted onto others. You see, it's all about me, 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 me. I'll do whatever it takes just for me, 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 me. This type of lostness is a rebellion. It is complete hatred for what is true and what is good and what is holy. There is hate. There is ungratefulness. The thought of making things right or fixing things or reconciling relationships, that is beyond you. You just don't care enough to do that. For you, it's very easy peasy. I'm done with you. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Because behind your smiling faces, there is pain in your life. There's anger, there's bitterness, and you said to yourself, you know what, I am completely hopeless, I am unsavable, and maybe you've been a lot more self-deprecating. You're saying, I am just, no one cares for me, and you know what, because no one cares for me, I don't care for other people as well, and you know what, I've messed up so much in my life. My past is so marred with sin and so screwed up that, you know what, God would never forgive me. In fact, this is the way I see myself. I don't see myself as a, as a wonderful addition to this church or a, as an upstanding citizen to the society. In fact, I am dirt, and I've said it to myself, I am trash, and I am scum, and I am not worth living. And so you had suicidal thoughts. You are in a state of depression, and you say, I hate life. I hate him. I hate mom. I hate dad. I hate the church, and I hate hate God. And so what tends to happen is that in your life, as you walk behind you, there is a wake of carnage. There is just a wake of brokenness and hatred and hopelessness, and you're just so fed up with everything, you just don't care anymore. Listen to me. The screwed up person that you think you are that hopeless and miserable, messed up person that you are, the one who thinks, I, there's nothing good about me. In fact, you're probably thinking, why am I even here? As you look around, you probably see these people who look quite manicured and have good hygiene, have good jobs, and have families, and you're probably thinking, I don't belong here. This is not my group. I should be out there drinking or partying or just staying at home, relaxing, being lazy, and just Netflix binging and doing all this stuff. This is not my crew. This is not my place. And maybe that's what you think because you're thinking, I am not lovable. I am broken. I'm messed up. No one loved me. No one would care for me. And I'm talking about you. Is that you today? Is that you? Let me tell you this. If that is who you are, that you are in such misery and such self-depreciation that you think that you're unsavable, unworthy, if that's you, you are exactly who God saves. Exactly who God saves. You are exactly the one that God is willing to go through the ends of the earth to search for and find and save. It's you. You know that? 
You're exactly the person as Christ walked through the halls and through the streets and carried the cross for, he thought of you because you were worth it. You see, as he got whipped, he says, it's you. You are worth it. As he got beaten up and scourged and bled for, and as he died, you see, he had you in his mind. You are worth it. It is you he died for. It is you that he gave up everything for. Jesus saved Peter. We all say, Peter's a disciple. He's one of the good ones. Nope. He rejected Christ with a promise. Meaning this, aren't you the one who hung out with Jesus? I promise you. I make an oath to you. I do not know that Jesus. And Jesus saved him. Apostle Paul, Jesus saved Apostle. He's the greatest missionary. Why wouldn't he save Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul killed and beat up Christians. He persecuted the way, meaning the Christians, and yet Jesus found this murderer and extended grace to him and saved him. Jesus saved King David. Well, King David was the King David. He was the anointed one, the man after God's own heart. Nope. King David was someone who slept with another man's wife, and then to cover up his trail, he murdered the husband. He was a murderer. He had the blood of, these, of this person on his hands, and yet you see, by God's grace, he is saved. If God can somehow, un- unknowingly and for unknown reasons, save these despicable, disgusting murderers and liars and rejectors and rebellious hearts, then he can save you too. Do not think I am so messed up. Right now we have this amazing cup that God can't save me. He can save you. And folks, right now we have this amazing community out there that feel the same way that you're feeling. God can save them too. You see, lostness cannot be described with just this one parable. That's why Jesus says these three in order for us to get, understand the magnitude of our lostness, but also understand the magnitude of his grace. You can never be too lost. You saw, you know that? You can never be too lost that you can't be found. But finally, from these parables, we have our third and last point. You see, heaven rejoices when lost are found. The heaven rejoices when the lost are found. You know, this one commentary said this, the vision of the Christian life, we oftentimes think that it's simply a journey. And it is. It is a journey. It is a day-by-day walking, day-by-day trekking, discovering the depth, <coughs> the depth of God's love and understanding that and doing it with one another. But you see, the vision of the Christian life is not just a journey. It's actually a party. It's actually a party. Does it feel like a party right now? <laughs> a very somber one, I'm sure. So these parables are different. They are in many ways. The players are different. We got the shepherd, we got the coin, and we got the father, or we got the, sorry, the shepherd, and we got the homemaker, and then we got the father. What was lost was different too. We have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And even what was found was different in its significance. The shepherd found one sheep that was lost out of 100. The woman found one coin that was lost out of 10. And the father recovered one lost son who was really the half of his family. And so there were a lot of differences, but the result of the loss being found is in the same, is the same in the end, you see? The result. It ends with rejoicing. When God saves you, it is a cause, a reason to celebrate. And that's why we celebrate too. And I think we need to do a better job at that. Okay? We need to do a better job 
at celebrating any type of progression, spiritual progression in our lives. So in our life groups or even in church setting, when, when someone says, hey, I got a praise PTL, a praise report, my friend came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to drop everything, and I want you, I want you to send someone out to get cake, and I want you to go ahead and celebrate. <laughs> it would be kind of weird because that person's not there, right? But that's what I'm talking about. We need to celebrate. In verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In verse 9, it says, When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And again, verses 22, 25, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat, and let us celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. Do you know why we always post up so many Instagram and Facebook and social media related pictures and updates? It's because we all have this inner craving to be recognized and adored and celebrated. We do. And maybe for many people here, it's been a while since you've had words of encouragement spoken to you. And that's, that's incredibly sad. And maybe it's been a long time since someone here has ever said to you, good job. Maybe it's been a long time since anyone has ever said to you, I love you. And I missed you. And you are wonderful. You see, there's a constant striving to receive the praises of men. But folks, hear me out. If you set your life and your goal and your mind only on the praises of men, the praises of men will turn on and turn off. Turn on and turn off depending on the mood of the world. And let me tell you something here. You cannot keep performing to get those praises. You can't keep doing that. Because then we'll be living our entire existence dancing to the tune of their song. Will I have enough? Will I have done enough? Will I ever be enough? And the answer is no. The world will never be satisfied by you. It will never be, never be satisfied by you. But you see, our God says in verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then again, he says in verse 10, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me tell you what God's agenda is today. Are you broken do you need rescue? Are you desperate to be taken in? God will do it. God will do it. If God can save the most wicked and rebellious and lost people, God can save you. And so as you enter his fold, know that heaven rejoices in your salvation. So my question to you all is this. Will you let your shepherd pick you up today and carry you home? Will you let the shepherd pick you up? Surrender your pain Surrender your problems to him. There are issues in our lives. Surrender it. Don't keep it in. Don't let it just fester in your lives. Surrender your life to him. No one knows you better than Jesus, and no one will ever love you more than Jesus. To save the lost, that is God's agenda. I hope and pray that as we pursue our vision, that also becomes our agenda too. And let's do this together. But know that it, is God. it starts with God. 
It starts with Jesus. Amen? All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness that leads us to mercy, to repentance. We love you because you first loved us. Every which way you see it throughout Scripture doesn't begin with us. It begins with you. And I think there are a lot of people here right now, and they, maybe they would see themselves either as the coin or as a sheep who's just kind of wandered off. Or perhaps they see themselves as that rebellious prodigal son who just wants to do things their own way. Wherever you are in life, however bad you think you are, or distracted or confused, you see the message that Jesus says here is this. He says, I have come to save you. That brokenness in your life, the misery that you have, the bitterness and the anger, the fact that you see yourself as someone who's so unsavable, you are exactly the one that Christ died for. Folks, I want you to recognize the death of your life, of your sins. And I think we're good at doing that. I think we, we're pretty good at understanding the reality of how messed up we are. But I think what we fail miserably at is recognizing the death of His grace. And so it's just becomes almost just a dance, a back and forth. We don't know what to do. Today, right now, commit yourself. Today, right now, let the presence of God lead you to Him. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. Praise God, but maybe right now there's still some brokenness in your life, some past wounds. Lay that right now before him. Maybe before you even came, got to church, you got in an argument with your spouse or with your child. And you're filled. That's what you're thinking about. It was hard for you to get into the mode of worship. It was hard for you to lift your hands up and praise because of those fights that you just had this morning. Lay that before him. Maybe you had an employee, a co-worker who said, who bad-mouthed you and gossiped behind your back this past week and it's just lingering like a dark cloud over you this entire week. Lay that before him as well. It's not so much about God just fix it, but it's more about God help me just to cling to you. Help me just to trust you. God, empower me just to abide in you because I'm so hurt. I feel so broken. And every time I cling onto these things and to these people uh, and my expectations are broken, it just it wounds me deeper and deeper.
God is going to do the saving in your life. He will be doing the restoring in your life. So let's stop going to other people and other things and try to find other remedies. God is saying to us today through his word, come to me. I am the one who will save you from everything. Let's take this opportunity and pray.